All right, so I don't know if you've ever found something you truly love and, and all you want to do is share it with somebody else. So maybe you found a song. Uh, a number of us here in the church have a WhatsApp group where we share songs and we share music that we found. Maybe you found a song. Maybe you found a band. Maybe you found a person or a guy or a girl and you're just convinced that your friends are going to love this person or this is the perfect guy for her or this is the perfect girl for him. Or you found a meal or you found a restaurant and you're like overwhelmed with how wonderful and beautiful experience of this thing is and all you want to do is share it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there. You got into the point where you're going to introduce him to her, her to him. You're going to introduce your friends to the meal, to the restaurant, to whatever it is you're passionate about, the band or the song. And in your mind, you're like, heaven is about to touch earth right now. And you're like in expectance kind of uh, uh, um, attention as you wait for this moment of breakthrough and, and power to happen. And as you do that, they're like, oh, I don't know what it is you're so excited about, right? And, and, and you're like, you can't understand it. I mean, to you, it's the best song, the best band, the best person you've ever met. And they're just like, they can't see it. And you think there's something wrong with them. I, I know that one of the more uh, clear points of subject where this happens is, is Star Wars, and I'm not going to reveal where I stand on the Star Wars idea, but for some of you, Star Wars is that. It is, again, like the closest heaven is coming to earth. When you watch Star Wars, you, your brain is going, your emotions are firing, your imagination is engaged, and you cannot understand why your husband is falling asleep. And you cannot understand why people don't love Star Wars to the degree that you do. That you do. One of the ways I experience it is when I talk about fishing from the stage, all right, because it's something I love and, and I'm experiencing kind of the fight, I'm experiencing being in the moment and you guys are like, stay awake, stay awake, stay awake, he can see us. <laughs> and the point is this, sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we love something and we cannot understand why the people around us don't see and don't feel what we see and what we feel. And that's what today is gonna to be about. We're gonna be talking about the kingdom of God. We're in part four of our series on the kingdom of God. Next week's gonna be our last one. Uh, but up to now, we've been talking about some pretty incredible, amazing things. And I've, I felt like that guy up here. I felt like, man, I'm just like experiencing so much goodness and so much joy and so much beauty in the kingdom of God. And I'm hoping something is being deposited in you. Uh, but we've talked about some pretty high points of what the kingdom of God involves. We've looked at it, it's an incredibly powerful future hope. We've looked at it as a powerful present reality. We've looked at the role that humans are ordained to play in the kingdom of God. And while we have been called to be rulers under the ultimate rule of God, we failed at that. Jesus came and he fulfilled that on our behalf. And then we just looked behind the curtain into the future and we realized that this crazy thing is going to happen where Jesus shares his authority with us. We're even going to be judging and reigning and ruling over angels. I don't know exactly all that means, but it shows you the role that God has given humanity to play in the kingdom of God and as Jesus restores that image in us, we can start living that now. So that was two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at God the King. 
And when God the King comes and He acts and He reigns and He rules, we see that God pushes back darkness. He confronts and He defeats evil. He frees and liberates His people and then He invites them to live under His reign and rule. And if you've been following with us, I'm hoping you're getting some of these mind-blowing ways that we can live in God's kingdom. We can taste and see that God is good. We can participate with God in His kingdom. But what we're going to be talking about today is why sometimes you can get it. And then there are going to be other moments in your life where you just don't. And today it might move you to great sacrifice and great courage. And maybe a few weeks later, you're just not in that same space and you can't understand what you were looking at a few weeks ago. Or why sometimes you're so passionate about what God is doing. You're so passionate about God's sovereignty. You're so passionate about God's kingdom and you share it with your family, your husband, your wife, your kids, your colleagues and they just look at you with this blank face and you're like, don't you get it? And that's what today is about. And so I've mentioned to you the reason why we're speaking on the kingdom of God is because it's probably the thing that Jesus speaks about most. And one of the ways that Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God, or rather one of the tools that Jesus uses a lot to speak about the kingdom of God is parables. And so a large number of these parables are to be found in Matthew 13. So if you have your Bibles here, turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 13. There are a whole bunch of parables. Why don't you this week read through that whole chapter? And once you've been through today's teaching, so much is going to fall into place as you reread the entire chapter. But out of all those parables, today we're going to be looking at four, two up front and two later on. So let's see how Jesus uses parables to teach us about this part of the kingdom of God, Matthew 13. And we're going to look at verses 31 to 33. So he told him another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven... Now, I thought we were talking about the kingdom of God. This is just the way Matthew speaks about exactly the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of all the garden plants, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And he told him another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all throughout the dough. And two very simple word pictures here helping us understand the kingdom of God. You must understand every time Jesus uses a parable to teach, it's not meant to explain everything, but it is meant to shine a light on whatever he's teaching about. And in this case, we've got some lights going on concerning the kingdom of God. And he uses these word pictures, the first word picture being the mustard seed, a, a tiny little seed, and this farmer plants it. Now, don't picture the Kruger, don't picture a mighty forest. The picture here is, a, is like a park or a garden. So the farmer takes and he plants the seed. The seed looks small. The seed looks insignificant. At some point, the mustard seed starts growing. It becomes a small, insignificant plant. But at some point, it gets bigger than all the other plants to the degree that it's a tree. And ultimately, it is the biggest of all the others. It is also the most life-giving as other creatures come and find life and rest and rejuvenation in the shade of this tree. So that's, and Jesus says, well, that's like the kingdom of God. And you're like, Jesus... I don't get it. 
All right, well, we're going to come back and look at it. So then he uses another picture for those of us who don't get it. And he says it's like a lady who's getting some bread and she doesn't go to checkers or spa, pick and pay. She's artisanal, she's organic, she's kind of industrious and she's making her own bread. And so she takes a little bit of yeast and she adds it to the flour. Again, little bit of yeast, large batch of flour and she works it and she kneads it until over time the yeast has been worked throughout the entire batch of dough. And then Jesus says, well, that's like the kingdom of God. And so let's just unpack what he's trying to tell us about the kingdom in these two very short parables. And the first one is this, is that the kingdom of God starts small. Now, this is so important for us to realize because if we look at what we've covered over the last few weeks, you might have driven out of church last week Sunday or you might drive out of church this week Sunday and you're just like looking around, you know, where's this power? Where's the kingdom? Where's this big moments of God coming through for us and, and punching down evil and bringing breakthrough and liberation? And then you just kind of get sucked into your normal day and you're like, ah, Steve looks excited about that, but I'm not seeing that. And Jesus says, well, you need to know that the kingdom of God starts small. And we saw last week that it comes in the form of, of Jesus. And Jesus comes not to Rome, not even to Jerusalem. He comes to this tiny little village in the north of Israel. That's kind of like the free state. And he's not even a wealthy guy. He's not even a leader. He's a poor carpenter's son. Because it comes like a seed. Starts small. There's a moment where, where this king, Jesus, is crucified. Now, if anyone had been walking past the crucifixion scene at that point in time, what would they have concluded? Well, here's mighty Rome crushing some more criminals, showing their superior power over anybody who tried to come up against Rome. And they would have concluded, including all those three guys over there, including the guy in the middle. So there's this appearance of weakness, this appearance of smallness, and yet we know that somehow that is the moment of ultimate defeat and ultimate victory. But it starts small. And so just before that moment happened, Jesus comes and he takes 12 men and he calls them to follow him. But they're not influential men. They're not mayors. They're not doctors. They're not theologians. They're fishermen and, and tax collectors. In fact, all of them except for Judas was uneducated. I don't know what that says about education, but nonetheless. And yet it is these men who started small. And, and Jesus says now, in the same way, you know, yeast, it starts small. It starts small and it, and it works through this batch. I want you to imagine at some point, this mustard seed or the yeast starts working through the dough or this mustard seed, at some point, it's gonna break through the ground and it's still, it's gonna appear like not much. It starts Small And John the Baptist himself got confused about this. John the Baptist was a guy who came before Jesus and he says, you know this king you've been waiting for? You know this kingdom you've been waiting for where God himself is gonna come and reign in the flesh in Zion? Well, that's happening now. And he was a courageous, fire-breathing preacher and he was calling the leaders of Israel and the people of Israel to repentance. He was baptizing them, preparing them for the coming king. And not a short while later, he's in prison. And he's like, I'm confused. I was expecting armies. I was expecting authority. I was expecting great visible public victory and defeat. But I'm in 
prison. I, I, I don't get it. And so he actually sends his disciples out and he, to ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, just help me out here. Are you the one or, or am I wrong? Are you waiting for somebody else? And Jesus is helping us understand that this mighty kingdom starts small, but there's something else going on in these parables. And that is that the kingdom of God grows in its influence. So at some stage at mustard seed, two little green leaves are going to appear above the ground. Then it's going to grow. A few more leaves get a little bit bigger. But even if yet you walk past at that point in time and look in the garden or look over the park, you're not going to be impressed by this mustard plant. In fact, you're probably going to be more impressed by other plants. But it's going to continue to grow. And it's going to continue to grow. And it's going to continue to grow until it is at the point where it is the largest plant and it is the most life-giving plant. And Jesus says that's how the kingdom of God works. And same would be true with the influence and the growth of influence with regards to the yeast in the dough. Now, what is kind of implied in these parables, which comes out so clearly in other passages of Scripture, is that eventually... Not only is the kingdom of God going to be this influential thing, but it is going to be the only kingdom that remains. The book of Hebrews talks about the fact that there's going to come a time where all kingdoms are going to be shaken. And every single kingdom except for one is going to fall. And there's only going to be one kingdom remaining. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Now that is a future thing we look forward to. So where are we living in? We are living in the time between the planting of the mustard seed, its growth, but we're living before the time where the only kingdom that remains is the mustard tree, to stick with that metaphor. And so we're in this time where there's still other kingdoms We're in this time where this mustard seed is still growing and is still visible and yet is not clearly and more obviously the kingdom that will remain standing when all other kingdoms are shaken. And this is so important for us to understand. You see, when the prophets were looking forward into what God was going to be doing, we've looked at some of those verses Yes, they looked forward and God revealed to them that this time was going to come where God himself was going to come as king and reign in Zion. And God himself was going to come and bring righteousness. God himself was going to come and bring justice. God himself was going to come and bring victory. But as the prophets looked forward to this day, they also saw this incredible moment of judging the nations, this incredible moment of vindicating God's people, this incredible moment of purging this world of all evil. Many of the prophets called that moment the day of the Lord. And here's what wasn't very clear to the prophets. If you just read the Old Testament looking forward, you would conclude there's going to be a day where God comes and does this. But what Jesus says is, I'm bringing the kingdom, but in two moments. And the first time I come, I come as a mustard seed. I come as a baby. I don't get born into Rome. I don't get born into powerful, wealthy families. I don't even get born into religious families in Jerusalem. I'm actually born outside with animals. And the first humans other than my parents to see me are, are shepherds, which are kind of the, the lowliest outcast people of society. But I'm, I'm the king. And I, I've brought the kingdom. 
and I'm gonna live the first 30 years of my life in relative obscurity. And then I'm gonna start announcing my kingdom and people are gonna misunderstand me. And people are not gonna see it, they're not gonna get it. Ultimately, people are gonna crucify me because they think I'm wrong and they think I'm guilty of blasphemy. And yet we know that the time will come where Jesus doesn't only come as a baby, but we know the time will come his second coming when he comes in great power, where he does come with the armies of heaven. In his first coming, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. But we know that with his second coming, he's gonna come with a mighty stallion and with a sword and with great power. In his first coming, he was given a crown of thorns. But in his second coming, we know he's gonna be crowned with absolute glory. In his first coming, he was misunderstood and looked over and, and not noticed that many people didn't see who he was. But with his second coming, he's gonna come in such a way that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so Jesus brings the kingdom in two stages. He brings in the kingdom as the mustard seed, which starts small. But it grows. And then he comes to the point where he shakes all other kingdoms and the only kingdom that remains is his kingdom. And so it's so important for us to understand how Jesus tries to wrap our mind around where we are in this period of time. You see, to an onlooker. Again, the mustard seed can be just looked over, can be missed. To an onlooker looking at the kingdom of God, maybe you are so passionate about the kingdom of God, but to someone looking from the outside who is not looking with eyes of faith, they're just gonna look at the kingdom of God growing amongst all other kingdoms and scratch their heads saying, I don't see what you see. Jesus even takes us one step further by saying this in Luke 17. He says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So what is he saying? He's saying, if we're looking for wholesale, visible demonstrations of the kingdom of God, if that's what we're looking for, we're gonna miss it and everyone else is gonna miss it. And yet there is a reality about the kingdom that it is still here amongst you. And why is this so important? Why do we need to heed Jesus' warnings about this? Well, I want to kind of talk about two ways that people have tried to bring about the kingdom in big, obvious, global, transforming, visible ways and have actually messed up things more often than not. The one is that some people try and bring the kingdom of God by combining religion and politics for them is if we take our political leaders and our political opportunities and we mix it with the right amount of religion and we enforce this over our land, we are bringing the kingdom of God. And I don't need to tell you that we just have to look to the pages of history or even some of what we've experienced in our lifetimes to see that that somehow perverts everything that is truly of the kingdom of God. Now, Stephen, are you saying the kingdom of God will never affect politics? Of course it will. But in terms of some demonstration, look, there's the kingdom of God, it's political. We've missed the point. 
Another way is that some people have tried to understand, uh, last week, we're gonna talk about this more next week, so sorry for kind of the, the vagueness here, but uh, the kingdom of God comes with power. The kingdom of God comes and it moves against evil. The kingdom of God comes and it liberates people. And for that reason, there is often a power encounter. For that reason, sometimes we see God work miraculously in wonderful ways. And that is something that we can experience at some level in this age even though one day we're going to experience it in fullness. But what some people have seen is they've said, whatever is true of the future kingdom must be fully true now. And they would call this, this might ring a bell for some of you, they might call it dominion theology or kingdom now theology. Meaning because we're in the kingdom, everything that is of the future must be true now. Meaning everything we name, everything we claim, every miracle we ask for must be seen today. And Jesus warns us and says, no, it's not gonna be like that all the time. Because you're not gonna be able to always point at something. Say, there it is. Come on, don't you get it? Whereas at the same time, it is here, it is amongst you. And so as we push into what he's trying to say here, I want to look at two more parables concerning the kingdom of God. And it's just going to be a few verses later in this chapter, chapter 13, where we get to verse 44, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So again, very quickly, let's just try and understand what Jesus is trying to teach us about the kingdom of God here. Well, the first one is this. It's already been alluded to, but there is a hiddenness to the kingdom of God. It's among you, but you can't like, there it is, here it is, but it's still among you. So there's a hiddenness. This pearl was hidden. This treasure was hidden. People walked past that field every single day without seeing the pearl, without seeing the treasure. And yet some people, is the second idea, some people are, are, are seeking something genuine. They are seeking something of eternal value, recognizing that maybe the kingdoms of this world don't offer everything that they've promised. And therefore they're seeking. And Jesus says, when you seek, you will find. And then that leads us to kind of the third thing going on in these two short little parables. There's a moment of finding or a moment of discovery. And in this moment of finding or this moment of discovery, there's a recognition of the infinite value of the kingdom of God. So so there's a hiddenness. Someone walks past the field. There's a mustard tree. But they just ignore it as one of every other kind of tree. Someone walks past the field and there's, there's treasure there, but they're not seeking And yet those who are seeking, somehow God says that we will find and for these people who are seeking, they discover this thing. There's this moment of what was always here, I am able to now see what was always here. I'm able also to appreciate that the thing that I found, the thing that I've discovered is of infinite eternal value. Even to the point where we see in both of these parables 
this kingdom, this discovery is so valuable. The thing that so many people have disregarded and walked past, I am willing to, if need be, give up everything for the sake of this kingdom. So here's a question for you, just to kind of bring this home for us. Do you find the kingdom of God valuable? Stephen, what do you mean? Well, we've tried to kind of tell every story we could to to get us to see the kingdom of God. But if we look at the king, and if we look at the fact that the king doesn't come in the kinds of demonstrations of power that maybe we would have chosen, or maybe that we've been looking for, he was a king who came, and he came as a servant, and he came to die, and he came in humility, and he came to be, at least in appearance, defeated by sin and death and evil and, and Rome and everything else. And yet he rose on the other side, and, and yet he's still, he's, he's growing this mustard seed of this kingdom, and he starts small with his people, and he demonstrates his victory over evil, and he, and he demonstrates freedom and liberation for his people, but so many are still missing it, so many are still not seeing it, and yet for those who are in it, they see and recognize the infinite value of the kingdom of God. Do you see that? And I, I'm, just, I'm not asking your mind, I'm asking your heart. Because I know as Christians, we say the right things in church. Yes, Jesus, all right, that's the answer to everything, right? No, I mean, when you see something is valuable, I mean, for, for me, this, I, I hope God doesn't like, do something weird with this, but like, I, I love that guitar. I love that guitar. When I see my guitar, I get moved. I get borderline teary at times because I have always dreamed about a Fender Stratocaster from when I was a child. I love the guitar. I'm moved. It's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. And you don't have to convince me of that. I'm asking, are you moved by the value, the eternal, infinite value of the kingdom of God. See, a time will come when the true kingdom will be revealed. Where all other kingdoms where we maybe have placed some value will be shaken. And this, this one kingdom, the, the mustard tree or the pearl or the treasure that was defiled and ignored and overlooked by so many, the time will come when that is the only one that remains. But it's going to be easy then to bow the knee and to every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I'm asking now. While there are so many other kingdoms competing for your affections, and for a sense of value in your heart, do you look at the mustard tree with a sense of where it's going, but do you see its value? Is it something you treasure? So maybe some of you are asking a very important question. I hope you are. How is it that some people are gonna look at the very same thing and see no value and dismiss it, while others are gonna seek, they're gonna find, they're gonna see its infinite value, and for them it's gonna be so overwhelming, it is the thing of ultimate value. How is it that two people can look at the same thing and see it in two different ways? And how can we maybe help people get from here to here, or help me get from here to here? Well, Jesus says it very clearly in John chapter 3, 
Jesus is having a meeting with a Pharisee at night because Pharisees were not supposed to be meeting with Jesus. This particular Pharisee was, went by the name of Nicodemus and Jesus starts having kind of a theological conversation with him. And at some point, Nicodemus, he would have been very afraid with what the kingdom of God meant, God returning to Zion. But then Jesus says this, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Did you get that? No one's going to see this thing of infinite value. No one's going to see that this mustard tree is going to outlast and outplay all other kingdoms. No one's going to appreciate its eternal value unless God does something in them. Unless God enables them to see what has always been among them. Unless God gives them spiritual sight and spiritual vision. I love the words of that last song that we were singing. And uh, worship team, heads up. We're going to sing this towards the end of the service today. But I love these words in the chorus. Because when you speak, when you move, when you do what only you can do, kind of language for God's kingdom, His reign and His rule, God's will coming, it changes us. And it changes what we see. And it changes what we seek. You see how this fits in? And when you come in the room, and when you do what only you can do, it changes us. It changes what we see. And it changes what we seek. And so that is why you can have person one who looks at the, the mustard seed or looks at the growing mustard tree and is still more impressed by every other plant in the field. And then you get person two who looks at that same mustard tree and sees it as a pearl or sees it as something of highest treasure. If need be, they would give up everything for its sake. And as we start to live under God's reign and rule, person one is gonna think person two is crazy and person two is gonna think person one's crazy. Because person one is going to see sin as good. Person two is going to see freedom from sin as good. Person one is going to see kingdoms exclusively through the lens of earthly power. Person two is going to see kingdoms through the lens of love, forgiveness. Person one is going to see building one's own kingdom as the supreme ethic. Person two is going to see the king of this kingdom laying down his life for others, even his enemies. And therefore, person two is going to see the greatest ethic is me dying to self for the sake of my king and for the sake of others. That's going to look crazy to person one. Person one sees might is right. Person two sees the value, the eternal value of humility, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. Person one sees a mustard seed and dismisses it. Person two sees a treasure and a pearl. See, here's what this means. When Jesus starts teaching about the life of the kingdom, he sits on a mountain. Last week, comparable to Moses receiving just the ways of God on a mountain. Jesus sits on a mountain and he gives the ways of the kingdom. And he teaches through something that we've come to know as the Beatitudes. And a number of them explicitly refer to the kingdom of God. 
So I just want to look at those three where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Sermon two weeks ago. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, here's what I think is going on here. If we don't see the mustard seed for the pearl and the treasure it is, we're never gonna come face to face with our spiritual insufficiencies, which is what it means to be poor in spirit. In fact, we're either gonna ignore them outright or we're gonna overlay them with our own fig leaves and our own accomplishments and our own abilities and the things that matter in this world and somehow pretend that we've got it all together. Or if we do come to face to face with our spiritual insufficiencies, we're gonna be broken. And yet Jesus says, it is those who do recognize their spiritual insufficiencies. Somehow they are gonna be the ones who come to the king to find satisfaction and joy and theirs is gonna be the kingdom of heaven. Back to person one. The ones who see that might is right. They're gonna see meekness as weakness. And so they're gonna see a so-called defeated king on a cross and dismiss it. We're the ones who recognize the pearl and the treasure see a king at that point in time beating the greatest powers of evil. If we don't see the value of the kingdom of God, there are gonna be moments in our lives where we are gonna be facing different degrees of persecution. Maybe not wholesale, politically motivated persecution. Uh, Who knows? But like some people on planet earth are experiencing. But at some point, you're gonna be looked over for a job. At some point, people are gonna think you're a crazy fanatic. At some point, people are gonna misunderstand you. And at some point, people are gonna take this thing that you hold of greatest value and hold it against you. And if you're experiencing the heat of that moment and you do not see the eternal infinite value of the kingdom of God, what are you gonna do? You're gonna say, actually, my pride is of worth more value to me. And being seen well by others is more valuable to me. And my kingdom and these other kingdoms are more valuable to me. So the point is, I think it's absolutely vital that as God gives us new birth and he births himself in us and he gives us eyes to see that it's not only a a reality of becoming a Christian, but we see the king and of his kingdom as of highest, highest value. Nothing else makes sense unless we do that. Because otherwise, here's what's gonna happen. It means that if we follow this king, And his kingdom, here's what's guaranteed. Some of what we're gonna do is gonna be perceived as weakness. It also means that some of what we're gonna be doing is gonna be misunderstood, just like our king was misunderstood. It's also gonna mean that some of what we do as Christians and as Christ followers in his kingdom and as Corporately, we see ourselves as a church. Some of what we're going to be doing is going to be considered of no value to the world. And yet to us, it's going to be considered of eternal value. And so we should not be 
kind of shaken by when we see and do things that we know is of eternal value, the world looks on and thinks we're wasting our time. Now, most certainly there are certain things that we're gonna do as God's people that are going to affect positive change in this world. But there are gonna be some things that are gonna be seen as completely misguided by them. Some of what we give up as Christians will be seen as absolute foolishness. Even though for us, we know we're giving up a small thing for an infinitely valuable thing. Which is why you can hold of highest value the kingdom of God and the king. And then there are gonna be those that are gonna be looking at the same reality and be like, what? I don't get it. And so here is where I want us to land and where I want us to pray and where I want us to sing. And I want this last song as a band, if you can come up and just be prepared to sing that final song. We want to pray for God to enable us to see. And maybe for some of you, I don't know if maybe there's a continuum here where you're starting to taste and see that the Lord is good and you're starting to recognize the eternal value of His kingdom. But maybe you get in your car and suddenly the beauty and the attraction of all other kingdoms come to you stronger. And what I want you to pray for as we sing this song is for God to allow you to see. For God to allow you to see. Maybe some of you here this morning, you walked in and maybe you, you're, you're not really religious and you wouldn't self-identify as a Christian. And all of this kingdom of God talk just sounds like religious Christianese. But maybe God has done something in you and you're saying, Lord, I, I wanna see that. I wanna see, I wanna discover this thing of ultimate eternal value. Maybe some of you are gonna sing the song through the lens of, I, I see and I know and I've experienced and I know where this is going, but man, my husband doesn't see. My wife doesn't see, my kids don't see, my parents don't see, my colleagues don't see. Someone who I've been praying for for 20, 30 years still doesn't see. And they see what I'm doing is foolishness. Lord, help them see. Change us. So church, let us stand. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna be led into singing this song. Father, time is going to come when we do see with absolute clarity And we're going to look back at to, to everything we've experienced and we're going to be amazed as to how we missed such value, such glory, such power. And we know that time is coming, Father. But Father God, you also invite us to get a glimpse of that now. You offer to change us 
You offer to bring about transformation. You offer to spiritually enable us to see what we failed to see. Even though it's amongst us, it's right there. So Holy Spirit, give us eyes. Give us eyes to see. Give us eyes to see the King. Give us eyes to see the King not as something that gets me to heaven, but as the highest value and beauty and power and love and life in my life. Help me see your reign and your rule as good. Even when others see it as insignificant. Holy Spirit, help us see. Father, we bring before you those of us who have this prayer in our hearts and we're praying that you are doing that right now. But at the same time, Father, we pray for those that we are praying for that that you help them see. And so God, we we pray for husbands and wives and and children and people that we are passionate about and care deeply about. And Father, as a sovereign work of your hand, help us see. And God, we just trust that you're doing something and you're changing what we see and you're changing what we seek. And that we walk out of here not just with a piece of knowledge in our minds, but with a shift in our hearts. And you, our King, becomes of highest value and passion in life to us. Father God, we're going to continue to pray this in song. And church, this is not a, a shift. This is still the prayer. This is still our coming beneath the work in the hand of God. Here's something practical to consider helping you in this journey going forward. Why don't you take this song? Could be any song with similar themes. Why don't you take this song, download it onto your phone. And when you get up and maybe you haven't prayed or had a devotion for a while, maybe you bring out the notes from today. Maybe you bring out the song. Maybe you put it on repeats. And maybe this becomes such a passionate prayer of yours. Why don't you stick it on your car? Why doesn't the, 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 the prayer of this song become the prayer of your song? I don't want us to leave this here. I I think that for those of us, if we could somehow compare what we've seen, what we've glimpsed, there's more. There is more. There is more. I don't care who you are, there is more. So God can show us more. and God can take us deeper and take us further. And God can grow greater love and greater awareness of His love and a greater sense of value in your heart. So please, there should not be a person in this room who leaves this here. The Spirit of the living God changes. Change what we see. Change what we seek. Change what we find valuable and beautiful. Let us see Jesus. 
a king and his kingdom. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.